morning again, I've already read our text for this morning, which is Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. On the Lord's day, I'm going to ask a question, it's a rhetorical question, but why do you and I have time or make time for everything else on the Lord's day? You know, I've heard it said that we make time for the things that, which, the things that are important to us. I came across this illustration called The Wrong Day by a 20th century Christian. It is a little dated. Um, you'll know what I'm talking about in just a minute, but let me read this to you. It's a person talking to God about the Lord's Day. You see, God, it's like this. We could attend church more faithfully if your day came after or came at some other time. You have chosen a day that comes at the end of a hard week. And we are all tired out. Not only that, but it is the day following Saturday night. And Saturday night is the one time we feel that we should go out and enjoy ourselves. Often it's after midnight when we get home. And it's impossible or almost impossible to get up on Sunday morning. You must realize that you picked the very day on which the morning paper takes the longest to read. The day when the biggest meal of the week must be prepared. We would like to go to the church, and we know that we should, but you have chosen the wrong day. What is your understanding of the Lord's Day or your commitment to the Lord's Day? What position does it have in the list of your priorities? Is Sunday just the beginning of another week or end of the week? You know, even in places of business now, sometimes the week starts on Monday, sometimes the week starts on Saturday. But what is Sunday? And while you're thinking of that, let me ask another question. Do you desire, do you yearn, hunger for, or long for an encounter with God? What is your attitude, your expectation, your mindset on Sunday? John's remarkable encounter with the Lord, we just start reading about, happened on the Lord's day. With that in mind, let me ask you again. What does Sunday mean to you? Do you have a sense of expectancy that the Lord will reveal himself to you? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and that is God. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That word stimulate in the King James is provoked. It's a term of taking the bellows, if you will, as you blow on that log or the logs in your fireplace, get that fire going, or you take the poker. You're provoking. You want to stir up the flames. And that's what he's talking about here, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It goes on to say, not forsaking, forsaking our own assembling together, that is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And talking about the Lord's second coming. Encouraging one another. That's one thing that I look forward to of many things when I come here to be encouraged. By a simple smile, a pat on the back, a handshake, or at times even going off and praying. Look at verse 9. 
I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. He's identifying himself with his readers, and I would even say he's identifying himself with us in suffering, pain, and sorrow. Everybody in this room, everybody within the sound of my voice, we have all suffered, or we are suffering. I've heard it said like this, either you're about to enter a storm, or you're right in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Those are the three places you can be. And he's desired to demonstrate commonality, shared experiences. Now, the tribulations that John was sharing with his readers are the persecutions directed at the church by the Jews and the Romans. And we're told about that he is suffering, if you will, because he's on the island of Patmos, not by God's judgment, but by an act of Rome. And this is an example of why we should not forsake the summing of ourselves. If we'd ever assemble together and spend time together, how can we get to know each other? How can you trust each other? This is true in even a marriage. I thought I knew Tammy when I first married her, but boy, do I know her better now 30 years later. We spent time together. Not all good, some bad. But as you walk, you get to trust each other. And here's another question, perhaps even more importantly than that. If we never assemble, then how can we know what the will of God is for Forest Brick Baptist Church? If we never assemble together as a body, seek his face, how can we say that we know what the will of God is for the church? He says in verse 9, he's a fellow partaker or a partner or a companion. And this is expression of community, friendship, and closeness. Mutual participation in the family of God. Such fellowship happens with God first. And how can we expect to build God's kingdom if we're not investing time, spending time with him first and with each other? John is letting them know that indeed he shares with them tribulations, exile, imprisonment, social isolation, slander, poverty, economic exploitation, constant threat of judicial action. And the proper response of all this is endurance and steadfastness. Because I share with you, he says in tribulation, look what it says in verse 9, and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. Now the context of tribulation and perseverance is kingdom. As we're back in chapter 1, verse 6, believers constitute a kingdom of priests. Now future manifestation, future manifestation of the kingdom awaits but for now in the inaugural phase the church will share in tribulation 2 Timothy 3.12 indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ listen to this Christ Jesus will be persecuted not might be or maybe you will be persecuted and as a side note may I say that in this country we have been blessed for far so long that we could freely assemble without any persecution whatsoever other than be called names like Bible thumper, narrow-minded, but we have never faced persecution like some of our brothers and sisters around the world. We experience tremendous freedom, and we should use that freedom to further the gospel of Christ. See, it's eschatology, the study of in things you have, the already and the not yet. And let me just explain that for a second. The invasion, for lack of a better word, has already begun. The kingdom of God is here in the fact that when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. So what God's doing right now, he's reclaiming his creation back one life at a time. 
You represent the kingdom. If you're a believer in Christ, you represent that eternal kingdom. So the invasion has already begun. The kingdom of God is made up of all believers around the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly. We can't, we can't see it all right now. The kingdom's not fully consummated. But then, face to face. Can you imagine for a moment seeing the face of your Savior, looking him right into his eyes? For he says, now I know in part, but then I will fully know just as I've also been fully known. So he's telling the Corinthians, and Paul is telling us, look, we only know part of the story now, but the time is coming when all of it will be revealed. You know, a commitment to a common goal removes any artificial barriers. And when I'm talking about artificial barriers, one's position and or status. See, they've been in the kingdom of God, that, that just falls away. We have to wait upon God and stand against temptations, evil of the world. The characteristic of all this is faithful to God, and as we're faithful to God, it's patient endurance, the horizontal characteristic. And we need to exercise a kind of patience and endurance exemplified by Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you remember when Christ was there with Pilate after he'd been scourged? And he, Pilate said, won't you say anything? You know, I have the power to get you executed. I could, I could get crucified. And what did Jesus respond the only authority you have over me is what's been given you from above. Jesus knew that his father was in control, and he knew that God would take care of him, and everything will be straight in the end. Dear beloved, one thing about Revelation, we know what happens. We know that he's coming again. We know this world is not our own, and we can go on and on. There will be, there's going to be persecution in this life. Don't lose the forest for the trees. Keep your eyes on that goal. Keep it looking forward. He says in verse 10 that he was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That expression, wow, I could spend a whole, I'm going to scare everybody, nine hours on that alone, but I'm not going to. Look what it says, in the Spirit. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Not slain in the spirit. He wasn't fainting. He didn't fall backwards or use unusual language. The image that we see here is a man seeking the face of God. In profound meditation, meeting God in an unaccustomed fashion, consciousness of time and other objects is transcended, and God begins to reveal in rapid succession visions, visions of a message. So it's in the spirit. No different than how the Bible was written. Written by men, guided by the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening here. He's in the Spirit, and God's beginning to reveal. In fact, we just read about how God told him to write down what you see and what you hear. See, God is indeed in the process of bringing human history to a close. And that's what he's going to reveal to John. How's it going to play out? And by the way, you and I need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. We need his strength and his power to meet the challenges of the day. The Holy Spirit will enable you and equip you for service. I've said this once, I'll say it again to my dying breath. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Quit making excuses. God is calling you. Answer that call. He will equip you with what you need in that moment. I cannot give you a script to say, if you do these things at a funeral or wedding, you'll be okay. 
You go, relying on him what to say and what to do. But you do have to show up. I know some of you in this room right now are wrestling with that call that God's placed on your life. Think, I can't do this, I can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. If he can save your soul from spending eternity in hell and create you with a new heart, then surely he can give you the things that you need to fulfill his calling in your life. The reason you don't have it yet because he's waiting to see if you're going to be faithful to answer the call. Saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but here it is. Here I am. Like Isaiah said back in Isaiah chapter 6, here I am, Lord, send me. And I wonder how many pastors don't get filled or how many missionaries don't go to the mission field because we're too busy making excuses why we cannot serve the Lord in that capacity. On the Lord's day, I spent a lot of time on this, but you go back to the Old Testament, it was the Sabbath. God set aside the Sabbath, declared it holy, we should not do any work on that day. But because the Lord was resurrected on Sunday, the early church recognized Sunday is that day and set it aside, and that's when they would assemble. But this is a symbol on Sunday. The early church assembled every day of the week. They didn't have a nice big building like this, you see. They met at people's houses and did life together. That's the reason he's talking about on the Lord's Day. They would regularly assemble together as a congregation. Although he is separated from the congregation that he had in Ephesus by 40 miles of water, John apparently was seeking God on the Lord's Day. Isn't that interesting? That the Bible would tell us that on the Lord's Day. didn't say on Wednesday or Tuesday. On the Lord's Day, John was in the Spirit. John was seeking God on the Lord's day. And my prayer is for every last one of you, even those watching us live stream, you should be seeking the God every day of your life, but especially on the Lord's day. This is not entertainment. This is not a stage. This is a platform. It's not a stage because I'm not an actor performing a play. I'm declaring to you the word of God. You should be seeking God. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. How do you approach Sunday? Look at this vision that John has. We're just now scratching the surface of Revelation. We haven't got rid to it yet, but look what happens to him. Do you want to know God? Do you want to have a revelation of God? Do you really want to experience him? You ever looked at Moses in the burning bush? Man, I wish I would have that type of experience. The only thing that's holding you back is you. To step out there and trust him. Look what he says in verse 10 as well. I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. It was a great loud noise. Had a clear tone and a strong sound of a trumpet. For all its strength, uh, John could hear it and understand it. And by its context, we know that this voice was the voice of Christ. Now, the word trumpet is a metaphor that has a lot of significance in the Bible. For example, in the Old Testament... Trumpets were used to signal warfare. Judges chapter 3, verse 27. Trumpets were used to herald kings. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. Trumpets were used in worship for festive processions. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15. And trumpets were used in worship for sacrificial offerings. 2 Chronicles 29, verses 27 through 28. Now, in the New Testament, they're always using uh, end-time significance. 
such as the day of the Lord being announced. So you can see that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. So that trumpet, just scratching the surface here, has great significance. That's what Jesus' voice sounded like to John, heralding all these things as we read about in the Bible. And what does Jesus tell him to do? Look at verse 11. To write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now we know the content of what he's going to write, and we know who's going to receive it. Write what you see, John, and then send it to the seven churches. Now the order of significance, it forms a circular route for a letter carrier. You begin at Ephesus, and you move north to Smyrna and Pergamum. Then it was to turn southwest to Thetaracha, south of Sardis, and east of Philadelphia, and finally turn southeast to Laodicea. If you look at a map, I wish I would have got a map for the day, I apologize. You can see how it just goes around the circular route so the letters would go out. But the question has to be asked, why these seven churches in particular? Well, because of their location. They formed a natural center of communication for the rest of the province. They had become organizational and distributed centers. They were chosen partly for the relationship to the imperial cult. All but Thyatira had temples dedicated to the emperors, and all but Philadelphia and Laodicea had emperor priests and altars. Isn't that interesting? They represented the problems of the churches in the area, but each church had its own particular set of problems, and they served as examples for other churches. And we will go into those letters in the next couple of weeks, about each letter to each church and what problems they had. It's interesting, as you look at those seven letters, he talks about what they're doing good, but then he says, I have this against you. Let's make a full circle once again. What is your understanding? What is your commitment to the Lord's day? Because I cannot get away from that verse that John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, that particular day. Just like John, each of us need to have an encounter with the living God on the Lord's day, in fact, every day, in our own Patmos Island experiences. What was the attitude when you got up this morning with the intent of coming here? What were you thinking? What was your expectations or your attitude as you drove up and walked into the doors? Were you wanting to experience God, to hear his voice? Or are we guilty of here in America doing what I call a checklist theology? Well, I'll go to church today, check, I'll sit here, check, I'll give my offering, check. I commend people for coming to church, but you see, just coming to church is not enough. By the way, you don't come to church. If you're a believer, you are the church. That's where the church assembles. God's not after your money. He's not after your time. He's not after your talent. You know what God's really after? Your heart. Because once he has your heart, everything else will fall into place. He knows once he has our heart, and once we truly want to fall in love with him and want to please him, that everything else will come in line. Sunday school, Bible study, small group Bible study, some people call it. That's an opportunity to encounter God. Sunday worship is a, another opportunity 
to encounter God. On Wednesday night with the Blast Kids, another opportunity to encounter God. I remember one Wednesday, we always start with these, you know, like, peace like a river, those sorts of songs. We kind of narrow it down as we get towards the end. I can't remember the name of this song, but the words, I want to be like Jesus, just like Jesus. And as I was standing in the back with the, the board back there, I kept cutting the sound down, down, down. So the people singing on the video, you couldn't hear that no more. Are you heard with those kids? And I heard those kids seeing that. That was an encounter of God to see that happen. Kids up here flipping through the Bible, reading scripture, encountering God. But see, here's the thing. I can preach to you and tell it till I'm blue in the face, but until you experience it for yourself, you'll never get it. My prayer is that our testimony be like that of John's, both individually and corporately. Like John said, on the Lord's day, on the island of Patmos, I was in the spirit. We would change it to like this, on the Lord's day, at first, Brooks Baptist, I was in the spirit, and I had an encounter with God. Because when you encounter God, dear beloved, you will never be the same. You will walk out of this place different in which you came in. We're living in very difficult times. Things are being challenged all around us. Even our very form of government here in America is being challenged. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. The Bible's under attack in all different forms and fashions. Education system, I mean, look what's going on. We have to spend time in his word, and we have to have an encounter with God on a daily basis. If all you're doing is coming here for Sunday to hear me preach, and you're not seeking God in prayer or by reading his word or anything else on your own, you're setting yourself up for failure. What I do, I take very seriously. But I cannot replace your personal relationship with God. You have to do that. I'll help you. I'll walk beside you and I pray with you. But at the end of the day, it has to be you. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your grandmother, not your grandfather, not your best friend, not your sister, not your brother. It has to be you. So I ask you, what is keeping you back? Do you think we get to heaven? We're going to be sitting down on padded pews or standing? And just barely singing to that, that's God, yay. As we get into this book, we'll see the glimpse of the throne room. And I can always tell you, you know what's going to happen? We're going to see the elders around the throne fall down on their faces time and time again, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Holy holy, holy is the Lord. That's what you see. So I'm inviting you, not just today, but every day, have an encounter with God, just like John did. Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you given your life to him? And say, here it all is. 
Just everything I have, even my own life, Lord, you take it, you do with you as you please. I'm your willing servant. Have you ever done that? If you have, and I invite you to do that today. And let me tell you, in that moment, a weight will be lifted off your shoulders. A peace will come into your heart you never experienced in your life. Most of us probably have done that in this room at one point or another. But have you really let go? Say, God, here it all is. Because God's calling you to walk deeper with him. Some form of ministry. What excuses are you making? I'm, I'm challenging you. Let go of those excuses today. And follow him completely. I am living proof. You realize I barely graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. Of a class of about 100, I was probably like 98. But because of God and his mercy and forgiveness, called me to ministry, allowed me to get accepted into a postgraduate school, Southwestern Seminary, where I pursued my undergrad and a master's degree. That's not because of me. That's because of him. And I'm telling you, it wasn't all roses going through school, but I learned so much. And I'm telling you, you can do the same thing. The only person holding you back is you. Let go. There is freedom in letting go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the call you place in all our lives. Dear God, I pray for those here and those who are watching via live stream. Dear God, for everybody who's in the sound of my voice. Dear God, I pray that they would hear your voice clearly and distinctly this morning. Father, we desire to have an encounter with you every day. To experience your joy and your love, your mercy and forgiveness. In a world that is so cold, chaotic, full of hate, and spite, and even malice. Father, you've called us to be with you, and to walk with you, and you've given us the greatest mission there is. To go out and tell others about your son. So, Father, I pray for those even now that you're speaking to, that they will let go and simply just follow you. And, Father, we know you don't call the equipped, but you equip the called. So, Father, I pray that nothing will stand in their way. Once again, God, we love you and we adore you. May your spirit continue to move in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?